This is The Guardian. Today, Sam Bankman-Fried was the respectable face of the crypto world. But now his company, FTX, has crashed. Will it bring the whole industry down with it? The guy you see next to me is the most generous billionaire in the world, and I found him. Hi, my name is Sam, and this is my story. Sam Bankman-Fried had become a master of his own mythology. Sam has crazy hair. Sam is vegan. Sam, Sam, I'm getting into crypto with FTX. You in? They call him the JP Morgan of crypto. (laughs) The Michael Jordan of crypto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Since founding the cryptocurrency exchange FTX in 2019, Bankman-Fried had been living what seemed to be any crypto kid's dream. He was a self-certified billionaire by the age of 29. He was lauded by the media and had the ear of political heavyweights, including Tony Blair and Bill Clinton. Sam will tell you he's always wanted to get rich, but not for the reasons you might expect. All that money, he plans to give most of it away to charity. SBF, as he was sometimes known, had become the respectable face of a financial industry that's under-regulated and largely untrusted by the mainstream. And he'd done all that sitting at his laptop in a plush penthouse in the Bahamas. If it seemed too good to be true, that's because it was. This month, FTX collapsed, and the millions of dollars that people had invested have gone missing. Lawyers for collapsed cryptocurrency exchange FTX painted a grim picture for customers' chances of recovering their money today. It was a terrible investment, 100%, and I lost my money. I get it. Everything reads like this thing is a complete scam. And that's right away I said to him, I said, you know what, you're a fraud. You're an absolute fraud. This is a story about a new enterprise founded on an age-old approach to banking. It's a story about corporate greed, as The Guardian's UK technology editor, Alex Hearn, has been finding out. $32 billion of company has dropped to zero overnight in a story of corporate collapse that the former president of Enron has called the worst case of corporate mismanagement he's seen in his career, which involves, depending on who you speak to, either a tale of drug, sex and gambling in a Bahamian penthouse, or a bunch of nerdy kids being the corporate equivalent of three toddlers in a trench coat trying to get served at a bar. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, the man who crashed crypto. Alex, let's start off by talking then about the man at the centre of this story, Sam Bankman-Fried. Before this crash happened, how had he risen up? How had he become successful? Sam Bankman-Fried, former billionaire founder of FTX, now Zero Air founder of FTX, is the 30-year-old son of American academic royalty. His parents are as 
firmly in the elite liberal establishment, as you can imagine. He, at high school, ended up in maths camp in Canada because he was a countrywide genius. He graduated from MIT with a physics degree. He is exactly the son that you'd want if you are a professor of law at Stanford Law School. He's ticks all of the boxes. And after he graduated from MIT, did he work in like a, a regular finance job? Yeah. So he worked in Jane Street, a well-known New York hedge fund for a bit before eyeing crypto as a opportunity for returns that stayed conventional hedge funds weren't seizing hard enough and going alone. A small amount of capital was turned into a lot more when he successfully carried out a trade that people have been talking about doing something that is known as closing the kimchi premium. That was making money by taking advantage of the fact that Bitcoin was worth more in Japan and Korea than it was in America. So essentially flipping Bitcoin from one market at a lower price, selling it at a higher price? That's right. Were you surprised at the time? Were you ever saying to yourself, I can't believe how much money we're making off of one trade? It surprised me every day. Like viscerally, every day, I'd wake up and be like, holy sh**, it's still there. By 2021, you're on the billionaire's list. The opportunity was called a billion dollar opportunity. It seems more likely. Bankman Freed only made around $20 million. But nonetheless, he made money with that trade and made a reputation with that trade, which he put into growing his own hedge fund, Alameda Research, and then eventually into founding FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange. I've seen videos of him talking about this ethos of earn to give, which is that as a business person, you should be trying to make as much money as you can in order to give a big chunk of your profits away to charities. How did he feed that into the way that he was running FTX and Alameda? I think in a bunch of ways. Some of it was was external. It was about image. A lot of Bankman Freed's sort of competitors in the crypto space were seen as sort of somewhere between the most aggressive Wall Street trader you've ever seen and you know their mafia equivalent. Bankman Freed, by having this intellectual, ethical justification for wanting to make lots of money. So effective altruism is basically making as much money as you can so that you can give as much money as possible away. That's what it's meant for me, you know, making as much as I can so I can donate as much as I can to what hopefully are some of the world's most most efficient and effective, you know, charities. Was he giving any money to good causes? He was giving money towards effective altruism itself. A lot of those donations were that odd second order stuff. He gave money towards AI safety. He also gave money to American politicians, again, with a sort of second order view, pushing them for positive crypto regulation, but also pushing them to take an effective altruist view of policy. Mm. His, his competitors weren't quite trusted to have good motivations in the same way that he was. Everyone could look at him and go, oh, sure, he runs an offshore trading exchange where American law barely touches the sides and anything goes, but he's doing it for good. And so obviously he won't deliberately try to hurt people, not like his competitors who we can't trust not to just go bankrupt and take all the money, let's say. In those first few years then of him running FTX, there was a crypto boom. Mm -hmm. How did his business go? It boomed even further. 
if you're running an exchange, you take a portion of all trades. That's you know normally how you would make your money. And certainly, obviously, if the value of cryptocurrency goes up, that portion goes up. He, he didn't own all of it, but that rise and rise and rise in cryptocurrency values meant that to a large extent, he could keep ownership, reinvesting the profits in growing the company and having to take very little outside money. What was it like to make your first billion dollars? You know, it's one of these things where like, when we started getting people signing up for the platform that we had never met before, that was when I started to feel like this might actually be real. You felt like you made it at that point? I felt like there was a pretty decent chance, yeah. How much was FTX actually valued at then and what was his personal wealth? At its peak, FTX was valued at about $32 billion and so was Bankman Freed. He didn't own all of FTX, but he owned near enough. And even by this year, it had fallen to around $25 billion. Because as the crypto sector contracts, so too does the valuations of these companies. But FTX's argument was always that it had created something that would persist beyond the boom and bust cycle of crypto. So he was doing very, very well in terms of his business. What kind of lifestyle was that affording him? This is where we start to pull in from hindsight, right? Um, We knew even beforehand that he was the sort of person who ticked many of your boxes for a 20-something founder genius, right? He and his backers were proud of the fact that he would be playing the online multiplayer video game League of Legends in the middle of calls to raise billions of dollars. I don't have a lot of time for hobbies. Um, I I play some League of Legends quite badly. I watch way too much sports in the background. And so I I will often have something up in the background. He also, uh, even more than founders of generations past, felt absolutely no need to dress the part or perhaps redefined what dressing the part entailed. He would show up in board shorts and a t-shirt to events where world leaders were smartly dressed in suits and we know that his his staff, his senior lieutenants, were equally young, idealistic, unconventional with an outsider's perspective. And he was running FTX from basically like a penthouse in the Bahamas. Is that right? Right. Reports amid the crash suggested that he and a close-knit group of nine or so other senior staff in FTX all lived together, all slept together and kind of ran the show without much input from either outside investors or underlings. The CEO, though, lives a relatively understated life for a billionaire. He drives a Toyota Corolla in the Bahamas. He lives with 10 roommates and a golden doodle named Gopher. Sometimes sleeps under his desk on a beanbag chair as well. I sat down with Bankman Freed. Bankman Freed also played his part in backing up the Bahamas as a a home for crypto. FTX bankrolled the Crypto Bahamas conference where luminaries gathered to talk about, well, how great crypto and the Bahamas are. What's up, guys? I'm here with my boy Sam from FTX. We're at Crypto Bahamas conference. We're going to start the day. We're going to do some TikToks for you guys. Welcome to the Bahamas. Understand this technology revolution and harness it for the public good. I'm convinced that we've got a lot of money, energy, and talent behind crypto. 
And when you have something that's obviously serious, that's where Bankman-Fried ended up on stage with Clinton and Blair talking about the wonders of cryptocurrencies. Him in board shorts, them in suits. These are things that perhaps might have backed up the image of him as an eccentric young genius, but also could slightly have pierced that notion of him earning to give, of him being a deeply moral person. It's hard perhaps to square a $40 million penthouse with the idea that your only reason for getting rich is to give away as much money as possible. Okay, so... How was he gaining interest and traction in this business? Obviously, you've you've got the interesting kind of personal story, but how was he seeking to promote what they were doing? FTX ended up as four basic businesses. There was the venture capital arm. There was the hedge fund arm. There was the offshore exchange. And then there was FTX US, the onshore heavily regulated, supposedly ring-fenced business. The regulated exchange was the respectable face. It sponsored sports teams. It, you know, the, the Miami Heat's stadium was sponsored by FTX. Now we're going to have to get used to this. The Miami Heat will soon play in the FTX arena after Miami-Dade County approved a multi-million dollar deal. FTX, FTX, FTX. FTX. You got to remember that. Yes. NBC6 is it still ran TV adverts, including a notorious one now with Larry David, in which he played his Curb Your Enthusiasm character, refusing to invest in crypto with the tagline, don't be like Larry. <laughs> like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. It offered an on-ramp for American consumers who wanted to spend their money to get cryptocurrency. It even let you have your paycheck deposited straight into FTX's coffers so that you could buy crypto immediately every month whenever you were paid. This was being promoted then in really mainstream spaces. I mean, middle America would be very aware of FTX and it was being marketed as a safe bet. Am I right in thinking that he was also using some money to fund political parties? Yes. Overwhelmingly, the Democrats. There are going to be some people to watch this and say, rich guy's got his own agenda here. He's not telling us. Why shouldn't folks be a little bit skeptical of your real motives here? Right. It's a good question. And frankly, everyone should always be skeptical of things like this, right? I'm not gonna That's caused a lot of consternation with some of the Republican right sort of beginning to frame him as Epstein version two, you know, another shadowy financier who caused misery, whose empire collapsed in darkness and who was closely tied to democratic elites. And he's still sitting in the Bahamas trying to raise money. Yeah. Why isn't he shackled by the FBI? If this guy was a Republican donor, he'd probably be sitting in solitary confinement right now. Yep. So he, the Democrat- But it's important to note that others in FTX's senior circle donated as much to the Republican Party. Unfortunately for the Democratic Party, Bankman-Fried is by far the more prominent member of the team. And so when FTX collapsed, it was not a bipartisan story. Within those first few years then of his career, how would you sum up what his status was and his persona? How was he perceived? Perhaps the simplest way would be to say he was the insider's outsider. Um, He was perceived as 
the weird kooky guy in a weird kooky sector, undeniably successful with a net worth that meant you had to treat him seriously, but also someone who was capable of speaking your language. You know, he would go on Bloomberg podcasts to discuss finance and to discuss how FTX could change normal conventional finance. And he could speak to democratic politicians. He played in that ground. Bankman-Fried was in that sweet spot in a business that was scary enough to be interesting, but as a person, everything that particularly American elites were comfortable with. When did it become clear then that things weren't going well with the company? The fall came out of nowhere. The short-term cause of it came in a, a leaked report of Alameda's finances. That showed that Alameda, the hedge fund that's associated with FTX, had billions of dollars of its assets held in a token called FTT, which stands for the FTX token. FTT is made by FTX. It is Disney dollars, company script. In other words, loosely, if you traded on FTX, you were given loyalty card points, and those loyalty card points would have real cash value in the form of dividends on the shares. That's fine. It's it's not really a problem. The problem comes when Alameda says it owns $2 billion worth of FTT. Well, well, in excess of anything traded publicly by users of the site, you would start to wonder how much money they really had. Why are they using this fake money that they print and can make infinite amounts of rather than real currency? Well, yeah. When this balance sheet was published, Binance, the largest Bitcoin exchange and early investor in FTX, announced that it was going to be selling all of its FTT. It, it didn't want the Disney dollars anymore. And That did two things. It sparked a collapse in the price of FTT, but also sparked wider fears that FTX might be insolvent, or at least might face a liquidity crisis. If it was funding its hedge fund with fake money that it had printed itself, investors worried, well then, where was the real money? Oh God, hold on. Is there actually any real money left? That was the thinking that led to uh, around $5 billion of crypto and cash being withdrawn from FTX on one Sunday alone. $5 billion of withdrawals happened on the Sunday, more withdrawals happened on the Monday, and on the Tuesday, FTX and FTX US both closed withdrawals. They stopped handing out money. Um, They said, and Bankman-Fried has continued to insist, that this was only a liquidity crisis. That is, that they still had enough uh, assets to pay everyone back, but they were just not in liquid form. That is the stuff of bank runs. It's the stuff of it's a wonderful life. It's the stuff of Northern Rock. We've got the money. We just haven't got it right now. We'll we'll get it back to you. Exactly. That's a liquidity crisis. Those are survivable, but it seems like what we actually have is an insolvency crisis where FTX owes more money than it has, and where no amount of waiting for loans to be repaid or selling illiquid assets will make it enough money to pay all its creditors back in full. That's a bankruptcy. What did Bankman-Fried do to try and reassure the people investing in the firm then? 
He accused unnamed competitors. So FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried took to Twitter this morning to clear something up. He said that a competitor is trying to attack the company with rumors. He then says in the same tweet, FTX is fine, assets are fine. At the time, even at the time, it was a unconvincing denial. The only thing worse than a bank running out of money is the head of the bank standing in front of it and going, don't worry, your money is safe. That's that's the least reassuring thing a bank could possibly tell you other than your money isn't safe. <laughs> okay. You don't, you don't send that sort of tweet if you are anything other than on the absolute verge of a bank run. Right. So then people just started en masse withdrawing their money. By the time Bankman-Fried was sending panicky tweets about how the money was safe. People had been withdrawing en masse for quite some time. And in the end, once you freeze withdrawals, there's no coming back. The minute you unfreeze them, everyone who thought maybe things were fine beforehand is going to try and take their money out. So what happened after that? Then it spiraled. FTX turned to Binance. Oh my God, they tried to get a bailout from their competitor. They tried to get a bailout from their competitor. They turned to the only other crypto company big enough to plug the hole in their finances. They needed $8 billion. They needed it immediately, or they wouldn't be able to give everyone their money back. Hey there, Sarah. Yeah, that's right. Wall Street Journal reporting that Binance is walking away officially from that FTX deal. It says here Binance's issues are beyond our control. Wow, Kay Rooney, Kay, thank you. Bitcoin falling now almost 10%. Looks like- in the end, what happened is Binance took one look at the books and bailed. After that, uh, FTX filed for bankruptcy within a week. The crypto market in chaos after the collapse of the FTX exchange with a new set of questions on where billions and billions of dollars went. A series of cryptic tweets spelled out the words what happened over the past 24 hours on Sam Bankman-Fried's account, sparking hot debate and even anger on the platform. Following several days of enormous turmoil, founder and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has announced his official resignation. FTX is facing a criminal misconduct probe in the Bahamas. Its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, was interviewed by local police and regulators on Saturday. FTX filed for bankruptcy on November the 11th. What's happened since then? There's kind of been three narratives. One is of SBF very much refusing to step out of the picture and trying to rescue both his reputation and still his company. One is of the wider contagion fears to the rest of the crypto sector. And one is of the new chief executive coming in, cleaning house, trying to make the bankruptcy process proceed as orderly as possible. A new chief executive has arrived, John Ray III, John J. Ray III, the most American man in the world. (laughs) His corporate history is of bankruptcies. He was parachuted into Enron, you know, Enron, the, the biggest corporate fraud in recent American history. Then he was parachuted into FTX. FTX, which he, Enron guy, calls the greatest example of corporate mismanagement he has seen in his career. Wow. Wait a second, this uh, is the guy who did the Enron stuff? Says he's never seen anything like this before? And he's come in now to try to clean up this bankruptcy. His first couple of weeks has been spent literally trying to work out where the money is. Well, Bankman-Fried has apologised to his former employees. He's written them a letter saying, I deeply regret my oversight failure. 
In retrospect, I wish we had done many, many things differently. I'm going to do what I can to make it up to you guys and to the customers, even if it takes the rest of my life. Alex, what those customers are going to be wondering right now is, where's the money gone? Well, they don't know. I was going to crypto for a moment. You got uh, advisors overseeing what's left of former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried's empire are struggling to find missing funds. They cite poor internal controls and record keeping. I mean, this was not a good report. Maybe their money is just sitting in a bank account somewhere, waiting for the court's authorization. Maybe their money was lost in risky trading. Maybe their money is valued in one of the many tokens with names like FTT or Serum that FTX can print itself, says it's worth billions of dollars, and thus is trying to argue means that it's not insolvent at all. That's what a bankruptcy is, right? A bankruptcy is a process where a company has lots of other people's money, but not enough to give it back to everyone. The job of the courts is to work out who gets what cash. Is it possible to say whether he was willfully misleading people or or whether he just got in way over his head? I don't think so at this point. Um, There's some stuff that does seem to have been genuinely a shock to him himself. I think the question is more one of self-delusion, though, rather than being over his head. You know, if you print $2 billion worth of fake money, and then write in your internal accounts that it's worth $2 billion. That's not true. (laughs) It's fake money. You printed it. But I could see a belief that you'd built a perpetual motion machine for creating money out of thin air because of your own goddamn genius. Although you do have to ask sort of, if it was so well-intentioned, then why was it kept a secret? Why not proudly say you've printed $2 billion worth of Disney dollars and handed them to your closely affiliated hedge fund to trade with? But I think, I don't think he expected this to happen. Put it that way. Coming up, what will Bankman Freed's fall mean for the rest of the crypto market? Alex, while this story is unfathomable in many respects, with some very interesting characters at the centre of it, the cryptocurrency market is, by its nature, volatile. And so within that context, how surprising would you say the story of Bankman-Fried is? As a long-time crypto sceptic, I would say not surprising at all. If you are in the crypto space, you are there broadly because you think the existence of financial regulation is a negative. I think the existence of financial regulation is a positive because it helps prevent things like exchanges and hedge funds working together to trade customer funds in risky ways that may result in profit, but may also result in the debilitating loss of billions of dollars. If you do all the things that regulated financial establishments do, you're a regulated financial establishment. We have lots of those. They're great. And they're not based in the Bahamas. They are based in Wall Street. 
Wall Street can have crashes, but one of the things that happens is that you have things like rules against hedge funds owning exchanges. You have all of this framework of stuff to learned over hundreds of years of financial sector collapses that crypto looked at and went, what if we had none of it? And the answer is, you learn the same lessons. And you said earlier that part of what Bankman-Fried was putting money towards, part of why he wanted to be funding the Democratic Party in the US, was to try and push for greater regulation of this sector. Actually, given what's happened... Do you think that in the US, at least, they will have to bring in more regulation? Yes, but not of the sort that Bankman-Fried wanted. Regulation inside the crypto world is sort of a scary boogeyman rather than a coherent set of policies or plans. When I say SBF wanted to bring in regulation for the crypto sector, that form of regulation is perhaps better summed up as legalization. He wanted a set of minimally restrictive rules that would allow FTX US and FTX International to operate on the same playing ground to both serve American customers in a way that legalized most of what he was doing, banned some of what his competitors were doing. But yeah, that that regulation would have been legalization. We strive to conduct all of our business um, in a transparent and regulated manner. I think that there are points that need to be addressed. And I also think that it is important to do so in a reasonable and common sense way that understands the industry. Instead, if the fallout of FTX affects regulation, it will probably be to move the dial in the opposite direction towards something closer to criminalization. Hmm. I think one of the outcomes of the FTX collapse is that the SEC, the American Securities and Exchanges Commission, is going to feel greatly emboldened in looking at cryptocurrency sector companies and saying, knock it off or you're going to jail. Alex, throughout history, there have been these kind of charismatic whiz kid figures who've had this ability to make people want to part with their money. I mean, Elizabeth Holmes, we might think about and the the Theranos scandal. What makes us want to believe in this notion of a, a kind of creative tech genius. It's the same thing as all scams ever, isn't it? It's greed. You want to believe because you want to believe you've found someone who's going to make you the money they promise you. And then after that, you feel like you have to believe in the genius because look at all the other geniuses backing them up. I don't think I give a shit about my legacy. That's not what matters. Like, I think what matters is what impact I have on the world in the end. And in the end, it's the mark that we actually leave on the world, not the mark we're perceived to leave on the world that matters. But the thing about the emperor's new clothes is the emperor was naked all along. He doesn't suddenly become naked when the child points it out. And I think kind of that's one of the lessons that we've got to take from this. SBF didn't become a bad trader when he went bankrupt. He was a bad trader all through this period, all through the period when he was being backed by the greatest minds in the generation and by people who did have the opportunity to perform due diligence, right? Alex, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser with production support by Safi Bujal. Sound design was by Axel Kukutier. 
and the executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.